Howdy, folks, and welcome to Dashboard Chats. As the name implies, we are recording these segments from our dashboard on the drive between our main interviews to discuss the tales and urban legends that aren't quite fit for the mic. Yeah, that's right, and every topic open for interviews, but that don't make them any less interesting. That, I'm Harrison, the Florida Man. And I'm Aaron, the Cheesehead. Today we come to you from the port town of Natchez, Mississippi, an old colonial city that boomed during the antebellum years. I can't imagine why. Uh, cotton plantations. It was cotton plantations. Yeah. Part of the reason this town was so important to the trade was due to its prime location right on the Mississippi River. But that was a long time ago. Longer ago than that, for which this very town was named, this area used to be the Nazchet Nation. The Nazchet people are descendants of the Black Mine. Sure. Descendants of the Black Mine people, the folk known for their unique architecture, being flat top pyramid shaped mounds. When an important structure would fall in a disrepair, Black Mine Indians would uh, build an elaborate mound to encase them and rebuild the structure on top of that mount to replace the one they lost. You know, wait, we had pyramids in North America? Well, in a manner of speaking, yeah. Unlike the, the Aztec, Mayan, and Egyptian, though, these triangular mounds didn't have any tunnels or hospitable interior structures. Well, I'll be gosh darned. Later on down the timeline, we get the Nazchet, date back to at least 700 CE, a distant relations of the Muscogean Creeks from what I read, they had a complex society with detailed chieftains. Yeah, how so? Well, they had a class system and weren't afraid to marry outside of their own. Unique still is that they were female bloodlines, which mattered in the family, not male. In fact, the great son, caps on that, the mac daddy of their chiefs, was always born of the female son, S-U-N, female son. <laughs> the next generation's great son, didn't stem from the current one, but from the daughter of the female son. Holy strombolis, meet the ball of ravioli. Uh, the power of the female bloodline seems almost alien to Western society. So good for them. Whatever happened to the Nazchet? Uh, the French kept pushing them off their land to exploit for cash crops like tobacco. In 1729, Nazchet had enough of their shit and revolted. When I say revolted, I mean they reached out to several other tribes including the Cherokee and Choctaw, and African slaves from French plantations. I'm guessing that didn't work out for them? Well, short term, it kind of did. I mean, the Aztec don't play around. Their attack in 1729 ended in victory, killing over 200 colonists. Unfortunately, it does seem some of the Choctaw saw an opportunity to strike and attack the Aztec not two days later to gain favor of the French. Woof, damn shame. Damn shame. Yeah, it's hard to blame the Choctaw really too much. Everyone who weren't white was just trying any method they could to keep their people alive, even if that means gaining favor from the settlers. You know, trying to play ball and whatnot. Hmm. What was left of the Nazchet was either hightailed or enslaved. Around 6,000 of them still remain today, based on what I could find. And you can find them living in... Oklahoma? Yeah, Oklahoma. Hmm. Stupid Jackson and stupid trail of tears. Yeah. Oh, hey now. What? No, we're actually just pulling up to our location. King's Tavern said to be one, if not the, most haunted tavern in the state. You ain't kidding. No, I am not. Also, the building is the oldest standing structure in Mississippi. Hmm. Yeah, but it's hard to be impressed knowing there has been a complex society living here since the 700s with pyramids. But this tavern is in the U.S. National Register of Historic Places, so that's still pretty cool. Let's get inside and check it out. Check out a tavern? You ain't gotta tell me twice. Whoa! 
Dude, this place is straight out of the Patriot. Man, they got old brick walls, roaring fireplace, few wooden tables and chairs. Man, I can get used to this. Hey, uh, table for two, please. Sure thing, darling. Welcome to King's Tavern. I'll be your server for the evening. Just follow me to your table yonder. Heck yeah. Got an empty booth right here. How's that sound? Yeah, uh, sounds pretty good to me. Thanks for the seat. Yeah. And a couple of menus for you. Can I interest you boys in any drinks? Yeah, whatever local beer you got for me and my friend and your famous braised brisket flatbread to share would be great. Sure thing, sweetheart. Be right back with your drinks. So, she said, you said this is a hot spot for ghosts? Yeah, you betcha. Uh, just asking for a friend, but what makes it so haunted? Have you ever read The Cask of Amontillado? That creepy story by Poe? Yeah, I think so. Then you already know it's in store. Wait, wait, I don't, I don't like where this is going one bit. Two beers for two boys. Bread will be right out before you know it. Whoa, served in pewter tankards too? <laughs> I take that back. I love exactly where this is going. Cheers, man. Cheers, buddy. Well, where it's going is all the way back to the 1700s when this building was first constructed, which is apropos considering that it was constructed around the very same time as the aforementioned Nascent Rebellion. I couldn't lock down the precise date, but it had to be within decades as most of these events mentioned earlier, which makes this whole episode a connected historical web of woe. I heard North Carolina has a similar historical web like this. Whereabouts? Charlotte. Interesting. We should look more into Charlotte's web. Oh, wait a minute. God damn it, you got me good on that one. <laughs> Anyways, King's Tavern was named in the 1700s after the building's founder, Richard King. Ah, so it weren't just named after King of France or King Richard or nothing? Yeah, you'd think, but no. Richard King. Hmm. Now people are expecting to enter King's Tavern with a big appetite as their food has always been renowned. However, Richard King himself perhaps had too big an appetite as he certainly bit off more than he could chew in the women department. Yikes. Yikes is right. Richard was married but had at least one side piece that we know about. A woman named Madeline. Oh man, when I think of French females named Madeline, I can't help but think of that adorable innocent little orphan from the children's books and... You know, that weird 90s live-action movie that I loved as a kid, but, like, probably wasn't that good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know what y'all listening think of the Madeline movie, but uh, anyone else love it? Yeah, just me? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we should give it a rewatch, see how it holds up. Nah. Because I'm, like, 90% sure that it'll just poop on my childhood memories. Just as I'm about to poop on that child's memories if they don't stop screaming. Dang! Yeah, no kidding. Control your kids, why don't you? Alright, so this full-grown, non-innocent, probably non-orphan Madeline is the tavern's most prominent ghost. You see, Richard King's wife caught on to the affair and presumably took matters into her own hands, murdering Madeline and sealing her remains within the tavern walls. Damn, his wife don't play. It gets darker still. In the 1930s, female remains assumed to belong to Madeline were discovered alongside the skeletons of two men and a bejeweled ornate dagger bricked up behind a fireplace wall. Ah, so tying back to the cast of Amontillado, for y'all 
who picked the you know more profitable majors than English, unlike myself, is a story by Edgar Allan Poe taking place in Italy during Carnival, where everyone celebrates wearing festive masks. Follows a man named Montressor, who ushers his friend, ironically named Fortunato, meaning fortunate one, into an old wine cellar with the promise of sharing some super rare vintage wines. As the two buddies drift deeper and deeper into the cellar, Montressor assists in getting Fortunato drunk as a skunk. And that's when things get weird. The winding cellar secretly enters into ancient catacombs, and by the time they reach a dead end, Fortunato is too schnookered to stand. Unable to fight back, he sat helplessly by as his friend chained him up and began walling him in brick by brick. It's revealed that Montressor held a grudge over Fortunato for a slight he made sometime in their past, and had been plotting his revenge ever since. He succeeds in walling in his old pal, and, for good measure, tosses a torch in with a chained man just before sealing him up with a last brick to ensure that he'd die either by burning alive or asphyxiation. It's unclear exactly how parallel Madeline and the other two men were to Fortunato as... There's no way of knowing if they were fully dead before being encased, but still. Smart of the killer to seal up the murder weapon with the corpses and not leave anything out in the open, though. Yeah, I'd say. The wife got off scot-free and her deeds weren't discovered until some two centuries later. Man, with a history like that, this place has got to be haunted as hell. Sure is. Uh, Well, probably not as haunted as actual hell, but yeah, I know what you mean. Most paranormal mischief here is attributed to the ghost of Madeline, naturally. People stay in a night of claim to feel her sit beside them on the bed and even see her staring back at them in mirror reflections. That's one big old nope. Yeah, it's a big old yep, actually, because guess where I booked our room for tonight? You're kidding. Nope! Come on, buddy, it'll be fun. Man, you're going to have to buy me a whole lot more beer before you try dragging my ass up them stairs of that spooky murdering Maddie on the prowl. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't speak too ill of her. You might prefer Madeline to the other spirits that are said to haunt King's Tavern. Jumping Jesus. You know, bet the truck ain't sounding so bad right about now. Wiley Harp, not to be confused with Tombstone's Wyatt Earp or Fivel's Wiley Burp, was a notorious outlaw believed to have stayed here at the King's Tavern. One night, a woman couldn't calm her baby down from crying, so Wiley stabbed a kid to death right out of her arms so he could get some sleep. Sounds like a genuine jackass. Yeah, well, that jackass is said to roam these halls to this day. The crying of infants can be heard as well, only when people investigate, there are no babies at the tavern. Uh, Speaking of crying infants, a waitress. Perfect timing. Got the rest of your order right here. Now, what can I do you for? Can you speak to the parents of that kid keeps crying? They've been hollering to high heaven since we walked in the door. Um, beg your pardon, sir, but there aren't any babies sat in the tavern right now. Okay. Just look around. But then who's doing all that? Oh, hell no. Alright, okay, well, while I try to convince my cousin here to nope. stay the night in our room at King's Tavern, nope. I encourage all of you to send in your own stories from King's Tavern or similar haunted venues to the tailgate podcast at gmail.com so we can feature them on the show. Follow us on Instagram at the tailgate podcast for photos, cast info, updates, and more. It'd also be a real help if you could rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Here's your room key, sugar. Y'all must be really brave. That's our most haunted suite, according to our Yelp reviews. 
Yeah, I'm sleeping in the truck. I'm gonna take this beer with me. See you in the morning, cheesehead, and see you later, tailgaters. See ya. Thank you for listening to this dashboard chat. Aaron the Cheesehead is played by Aaron Sherry. You can check him out on the YouTube channel. So can you! Exclamation point. Harrison the Florida Man is played by Harrison Foreman. The Waitress is voiced by Alicia Foreman. You can check her out on her podcast, We Three English Majors. Theme song by Matt Jones. Did you enjoy the screaming baby? I know we did. This episode was written and edited by Harrison Foreman.